69%. News and weather, RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Danny Gittings. On today's program, we're looking at efforts to attract doctors to Hong Kong. The hospital authority will send a delegation to medical colleges in the UK next month to try to recruit doctors to help address the shortage of medical professionals here. The health secretary said the government would provide accommodation and financial assistance for doctors who come to Hong Kong to work. So what is the current situation like in the public sector? How difficult is it to get doctors to come here? And what factors need to be considered? After 9.45, we'll look at why birds have been flying into skyscrapers here. So you can let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk. Or give us a call, the number there, 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have in our Admiralty studio, Dr. Victor Yeung, the Vice President of the Hong Kong Medical Association. We also have on the line Medical and Health Services lawmaker, Dr. David Lam, and Dr. Aaron Lee, Chairman of the Caritas Medical Center Doctor Association. Good morning, Dr. Yeung. Good morning. And Dr. Lam and Dr. Lee, thanks for joining us on the program. Um, Good morning. morning. Let's uh, go to you first, uh, Dr. Lee. Um, How would you describe the shortage of doctors in the public medical sector? For the time being, uh, uh, after the COVID uh, pandemic, uh, we still uh, are facing the winter surge because uh, people are removing their masks and then uh, more patients with fever are coming to the hospital. And uh, I think... uh, for the time being, uh, uh, the manpower is still uh, uh, a little bit tight, but uh, it seems that uh, besides people are leaving the public sector, uh, there are not much people uh, coming back from overseas uh, countries to work in the public sector. So what does this actually mean? I mean, what's happening? Are our doctors uh, working longer hours or, or taking shorter breaks? Yeah, uh, I heard from the news that uh, after the release uh, for the restriction on the invite, invitation of the uh, non-local uh, doctors to come back to practice, there are only around 10 uh, overseas doctors who show interest to come back to work here in Hong Kong uh, public hospital. So uh, the response is uh, quite uh, disappointing. Uh, that's why uh, now the hospital authority, uh, head office staff, and also the health secretary are planning to go to the United Kingdom uh, to invite the young doctors to come back to work. Right. And Dr. Young, what's your assessment of the situation? Well, um, oh, it's not worse than I expected because uh, initially we think that we can recruit around 100 doctors through the scheme but surprisingly up to today I think um, I can say there's only 11 of them successfully applied back to Hong Kong I'm not sure whether it's due to a global shortage of doctors resulting that in their own country they don't have younger doctors why would they leave their own country to come to Hong Kong I mean um, after this epidemic I'm pretty sure that uh, over in the world, everywhere has a shortage of doctors, pretty sure. And also, um, in Hong Kong, we saw quite a number of doctors leaving uh, as well during this um, 
few years. Why, why is that? This, I'm not too sure. Is um, seems like they want to um, go to somewhere else to work. Say maybe well, in the UK, immigrating, yeah, so. immigrating, and and also in the US, etc. Some in Australia, some of my friends are leaving. To well. emigrate, they can't easily practice in another jurisdiction, right? It's difficult because you need to get your uh, get license in another jurisdiction. So they're basically giving up their career more or less. When they're... Uh, not really, because in some uh, cases, in in some specialties, uh, they can transfer their fellowship over to say uh, some in UK because they are. Australia, because there are some joint fellowship with Hong Kong, so they can some of them uh, can still practice their own um, specialty in that, in those countries, um, but some of them are really uh, having time, a difficult time to get a license because they need to go through the different exams. But still, they are leaving. So I still wonder what's the reason behind. All right, let's go to uh, Dr. Lam. Good morning. Mm-hmm. morning. Um, so, so like uh, what Dr. Lee was mentioning, uh, hospital authorities going to go to the UK next month to mm-hmm. uh, recruit Hong Kong students studying in uh, medical schools there. Um, mm-hmm. In your view, uh, how attractive do you think Hong Kong is to uh, these medical students? Well, of course, I hope they are successful in recruiting some doctors back to Hong Kong, especially when they are Hong Kong people to start with. Now, the problem is who can come back if you go and ask the senior host officers who are graduated and they are now uh, doing the internship, then most likely they have their own plans already. And if they have to come back, then they have to change their plan. So many of these doctors would think, well, why not just uh, carry on with my original plan and then I'll see how, what, would go, what happens afterwards. So they may take a wait-and-see kind of an option. Now, for those who have been working there for some years, uh, like uh, graduated doctors or a few years, then they would likely have their own families and they have a career in front of them. And if you want to convince them to come back, then the attraction has to be big enough. And for students, yes, I think you can ask, you can attract the students to come back to Hong Kong. And I believe that is attractive. This is the homeland and their families here. But then, it takes some more years before they really graduate and takes two more years um, before they complete the senior host officer in the UK. So that takes a little time before we can actually see the results of the new scheme. So I wouldn't be surprised that the number is slow to start with, but gradually increases over the years. So you're saying even students who um, might be interested in coming back, they have to complete what, a couple of years of, um, of initial years. practice in, in the UK? Two so- years. Two years of senior house officer or internship. That is required. They have to get registered in the place where they graduate before they can come back through this special registration scheme. So in that case, the most likely target market, you won't really see um, much impact for another two years? I believe so, yes. And then we hope to see that more parents will be willing to, willing to send their kids overseas to study, especially to those universities where they can come back through this scheme. How, how about that, Dr. Dr. Young? Um, is it possible that uh, this is just a delayed effect and we will see more coming, doctors coming? Hopefully so. <laughs> because um, as what um, uh, Dalem has said, um, this scheme is, have just started and we have just uh, have the list of 75 uh, qualified uh, universities uh, as up to date. So hopefully as we get more and more universities uh, onto the list, then she will have more uh, candidates who can uh, apply to come back 
And also, hopefully, uh, as we know, we have increased the number of medical students of both universities this year up to around 590, which is compared to like 300-something during my years. So we should get more and more uh, supply of doctors gradually, but not suddenly uh, increase a big lot. Yes, you raise a good point. The number of universities that you can come back, graduate and come back from is still limited. And given how competitive medical school is, right? Yes. People who get into those universities, they're already pretty good and they may feel they have other career options. So there must be plenty of Hong Kong students studying overseas in, in universities that are not on this list. Yes, of course. Because this is only uh, very limited. There's only 75. Of course, we cannot suddenly increase to a 1,000 because each of them, uh, uh, Medical Council, uh, special registration group will see and view whether those universities are compatible to Hong Kong U and CUHK. Right. And, and Dr. Lee? Yes. Um, what, yes. What's your view on this? I mean, how, how attractive do you think uh, Hong Kong is to these uh, medical students? And do you think uh, simply by providing accommodation and financial assistance to them uh, will be enough to uh, get them to work here? Yeah, uh, talking about the medical manpower, I think uh, we not we are facing a difficulty of losing uh, experienced doctors who uh, have immigration to other countries because uh, I as I uh, can see in my department, where, uh, which I'm working at, uh, many uh, of the um, uh, experienced doctors are leaving, and some are uh, reaching the age of retirement. And then, then I think uh, we are not uh, very lack of uh, doctors who are at the. Uh, uh, freshly graduated level or at the trainee level, but we are lacking of doctors with uh, experiences. Say they are uh, five or ten years of uh, graduated and are uh, competent and uh, can work very quickly and independently inside the public sector. So, uh, if you attract a lot of students coming back. They are just competing with the local graduates to get their posts in the hospitals. But uh, I wonder whether it is really helpful to relieve the workload in the public sector, which we feel uh, there is much pressure to get uh, more experienced doctors to come in. When you say relieve the workload of the public sector, are you talking about uh, working with the uh, private sector? No, uh, I mean in the public sector. You can see uh, uh, hospital authorities always talking about the waiting time. Now the waiting time of the specialist outpatient clinic, the waiting time at the accident emergency department, uh, and even the waiting time for admission into the wards are pretty long. Uh, And that's why uh, there are a lot of uh, pressure and complaint uh, on the public hospitals. at this uh, juncture. So uh, I think uh, in order to reduce these waiting times and targets that uh, the hospital authority has been uh, planned, uh, it is not merely increase the headcount of the medical manpower we need, but instead we have to look into the quality of these uh, new uh, manpower coming back to Hong Kong as well. All right, Dr. Lam? Um, uh, Dr. Mm. Lee, just now he's talking about uh, the, uh, well, 
shortage of experienced doctors. Um, how, how concerned are you about that? And, and, how, and what sort of impact will it have on the quality of uh, uh, the public sector medical services? Well, I think it is a worldwide problem that we are facing an aging of the entire world's population. So the proportion of elderly people is increasing and the proportion of relatively younger people is decreasing. That means we are going to have less and less uh, fresh graduates and young doctors uh, for training. I think this is a worldwide problem. So, uh, well, one thing we have been doing is to defer, to prolong the, the, the working age until 65 instead of 60 in a public uh, hospital. And then, well, for one thing, there are quite a number, quite a large amount of experienced doctors in the private sector. So how to make use of their workforce will also be useful in the future. All right. And for training, training, I agree that training is a very important issue. Uh, it's not only about head count, but about quality and also attitude. Now, training is now only provided in the hospital authority, and they have problems. I understand they have problems. For instance, they do not have enough, uh, say, intermediate or intermediate major cases for young surgeons to operate on because all the time slots are used for cancer cases. They have a, a whole lot of cancer cases waiting already. And if we can pick up some of those training in the private sector and show our younger doctors the entire um, medical or healthcare arena in Hong Kong, that would be very useful for them, both for training technically and also in the outlook of the entire medical landscape of Hong Kong. So that is something we can also explore in the near future. All right. Uh, we're now joined by uh, another guest, and uh, he's uh, Dr. Henry Yeung, a council member of the Hong Kong Chinese Medical Association. And good morning, Dr. Yeung. Good morning, everybody. Thanks yes. for joining us on the program. So just now, uh, Dr. Lam, he suggested that uh, yeah. um, maybe we can make use of uh, experienced doctors from the private sector. And uh, you're from the private sector. What do you think of that idea? I think, uh, you know, um, previously, uh, uh, I mean, about 10 to 20 years ago, the government service is not so clouded because of uh, uh, our service, or the service, a level of service, uh, the, the quality of service is, um, is being, being improved at that time. So now the quality of service improved quite a lot. And at the same time, just as speakers have said, that there are a lot of experienced doctors, intermediate doctors, leaving the public service and make the problem worse because uh, uh, leaving those young doctors without experience, they have to uh, work very, very, very hard, and there are a lot of pressure on them. And but in the private sector, a lot of just just said that there are a lot of experienced doctors uh, leaving the hospital body, going to private, and. They, they, they have plenty of time uh, 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 to, to take care of patients. Uh, they're, uh, they're, um, I think um, for uh, such uh, community doctors or specialist doctors in the private sector, I think they're not fully occupied at all. I think the government is looking at the ways of downloading um, uh, the patients without any uh, uh, immediate problems from the hospital authority to the community. Uh, to be take care by those uh, private doctors. Uh, to to quote an example, uh, just about 20 years ago, when the accident emergency department uh, really uh, called for help because of too many patients waiting uh, in the E and E department, and we have uh, uh, association 
establishing two pilot private clinics that we designed the, the uh, HAAE department in Qimun and in Qimun Hospital. And with uh, about uh, 24-hour service and only charge about $100 each time for, for a pilot study. And at that time, the AE department, uh, there's no charge, it's free of charge. And even that, with adequate experienced doctors in that private pilot clinic beside the AE department, there's nobody going to, to get the service when at the same time, at the same time, the, the next, the AE department expires, is fully covered the people. That means that. The, 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 the people is pouring them. the money for the patient. If the money for the patient to the private sector, the patient will surely uh, leave the public service and go to private. And mm-hmm. they will sort of sort of problem. If we just just casual of uh, some doctors from out from out of Hong Kong coming back to Hong Kong to take service, and I just. They thought uh, said there's a training problem, and and there'll be some uh, low morale in the local doctors as well. I I think uh, we have to we have to see the really problem that, that there's an imbalance of um, service um, opportunities opportunities in the public and private sector. We have to solve this problem before us. And at the same time, we have to we we really uh, uh, recall in my mind in our mind that that the health figures the health index in Hong Kong is superb is a being being the top in the world we have the the longest lifespan we have the lowest infant mortality rate and this is the result of the uh, good work uh, hard work done by the by doctors in Hong Kong so far okay and then let's follow up on that, that that point you mentioned possibly about low morale among local doctors if you open the floodgates too much to doctors coming in from overseas uh, doc, dr david lamb um mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's uh, i mean we've the government has already changed the law and gone a long way from the previous situation and the medical profession before was mm-hmm. very strongly opposed to uh, the relaxation um is there a danger affecting the morale of the local medical profession if you allow too many doctors trained overseas in First of all, the medical profession has never been opposing the importation of overseas doctors. Uh, The only concern is about standard. So all along, all the medical organizations in Hong Kong and the previous lawmakers just wanted to make sure that the standard of the doctors uh, coming into Hong Kong are satisfactory. And since we have dealt with that problem, at least temporarily, we are now open to admit more doctors into Hong Kong. As for morale, um, I believe we are facing a severe shortage of doctors in a public hospital, at least, public hospital. So the morale there is low, partly because of the heavy workload. And we can, if we can have some more doctors wherever they come from and help out with the work, then that would boost the morale in a way. But of course, then people will ask if there are more competitors for jobs and for promotion, would that affect our morale? Now, first of all, I believe everywhere around the world, all cities have their obligation to take care or give a priority to locally trained um, doctors, nurses, or any other professionals. It's universal, right? So that is one thing. We have to employ our own local graduates first before we admit other uh, professionals. And that is one thing. But then, if you talk about promotion, that will be a couple of years down the road, and that depends very much on 
um, how they are doing. If they are superb, then they get promoted. I don't think that should be a problem. And doctors or medical graduates from Hong Kong are of superb quality, and I do not, I'm not worried that they will be losing out in that competition in the long run. Would you favour expanding the scheme for allowing doctors, uh, overseas graduates to come in beyond, I think it's currently 50 universities, would you um, favour expanding it further? It is 75 at 75 the moment. Now. And, right, and we have always been talking about around about 100 to start with, so we are still a little way from there, and that would be the first stage. And then the case mix or the mixture of these universities, we notice that uh, most of these universities now on the list are from the UK, Australia, US, some from Singapore, and basically uh, the Western countries and Western world. And we have just about three universities which are on the mainland uh, who are on the list. And I would expect to see a bit more of our good mainland universities to be on the list. Um, as this is a very important issue, we understand that only families who are middle class or above have the means of sending their children abroad to study medicine, say to the UK or US. But then from the mainland side, we do have very good students from Hong Kong who can have a scholarship and go to mainland to study in top universities. Now, if we can also encourage our grassroots population, I mean children from the grassroots population, to go back to the homeland, uh, to go back to our home country and study medicine and return to serve our population here in Hong Kong. This is a boost in their morale, and also it is a matter of social justice. Why should only those who have the means have a second chance? I mean, we should give the second chance to all, including those from the grassroots population. So it is a matter of social justice. Okay, thank you very much. That's Dr. David Lamb, the elected Legislative Council member for Medical and Health Services. Um, Dr. Victor Young, you you were talking. I mean, because the the Secretary for Health, Health the Health Secretary is talking about going to the UK. You you were saying earlier something similar that you really should be looking at other destinations as well. Yes, no, not just limited UK. I believe that they have the whole well, like world tour of going to different countries and jurisdiction to try to get the good doctors back to Hong Kong. Because um, UK just maybe the first step is. Um, Maybe they have good connections with some UK universities and medical schools, so hopefully maybe they can recruit more um, doctors to come back to Hong Kong. But there are several things that they need to worry about is first, uh, when they come back to Hong Kong, where will they stay and whether they will bring the family? Because, you know, Hong Kong housing is quite expensive to, say, rent or even buy. So there are several things that they need to work on before they can get uh, some good doctors coming back to Hong Kong. And uh, earlier you're talking about uh, there's, there's a, a global shortage in, yes. in yours uh, of doctors. How, how can we compete with other places for doctors? Well, this uh, based on the intelligence of our government to see which type of incentives will be good to attract them back to Hong Kong. Say the current amendment of the MROs is maybe is not too attractive because as we see right now, there's only 10 of them coming back, say up to 11 right now. Uh, but maybe as... Uh, we believe, hopefully, uh, in the long run, hopefully more and more uh, doctors will be willing to come back to Hong Kong, say, maybe up to the target of 100. Right. And, and uh, for example, let's say if uh, this time when it goes to the UK to get doctors, um, what if they don't uh, manage to get um, many doctors? I mean, what suggestions do you have? I mean, where else can we go to look for doctors for Hong Kong? 
I mean, basically any part of the world. Uh, I mean, UK is one, US is one, say Australia, or even you can go back to Singapore to get back some of the doctors back to Hong Kong. I know some of the doctors from Hong Kong are going to Singapore uh, before we can get them back. But why should you necessarily have more success in other countries than UK? Um, not just, maybe not more, but just like, uh, hopefully we get a few from UK, a few from US, a few from, say, other parts of the world, and then we add them together, then we can get a good workforce. So it would be a, it's a progressive approach. You, yes. You, you hope that... Um, yeah, I don't believe that we can get a lot of doctors uh, at one place. I, I cannot get, say, 1,000 doctors back from one jurisdiction back to Hong Kong. We need to get from different places. All right, Dr. Young, I'm afraid we have to take a short break uh, for the news. Um, but of course, we can continue our discussion afterwards. And uh, Dr. Lam, thanks again for joining us on the program. And Dr. David Lam is the medical and health services lawmaker. Um, now, if you have any comments or questions for our guests today, you can leave a message on our Facebook page back chat on rthk radio 3 or you can give us a call on 233-88266 and uh, here's a quick look at the weather mainly fine apart from rather low visibility in some areas the top temperature today will be around 27 degrees winds will be light and uh, right now the temperature reading at the observatory is 22 degrees relative humidity is 70 percent it's now 9.30. Here's Todd Harding with the news. A patients' rights activist has welcomed plans announced last night to allow non-local nurses to work here without taking a licensing exam. Alex Lam, chairman of Hong Kong Patients' Voices, says the shortage of nurses locally is so acute that some services are being cancelled, so the scheme wouldn't take jobs away from locals. An aviation analyst says the mainland's reopening will be a big boost to the fortunes of Cathay Pacific after the airline announced further losses yesterday of more than $6.5 billion for last year. Herman Sayre from aviation analytics firm Sirium said the carrier's main driver of growth was passenger demand. And thousands of Georgians have taken to the streets of the capital Tbilisi for the second consecutive day to protest about a new law on foreign agents. The ruling Georgian Dream Party, which the protesters say has links with Russia, secured passage of the bill on first reading this week. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. When an amber rainstorm signal is in force, follow the news on weather and road conditions. When a red or black rainstorm signal is in force and the Education Bureau has announced class suspension, schools should adopt emergency measures. They should keep premises open, look after students who have arrived, and keep students at school until it is safe to leave. Parents need not hurry to pick up children. Students already on their way to school should pay attention to rainfall, as well as traffic, slope and road conditions, and should stay somewhere safe if necessary. The primary healthcare blueprint has been launched. The government is devoted to foster disease prevention and early treatment. Connecting community health care services, district health centers across the 18 districts help you live a healthy life and be aware of health risks early. The blueprint encourages the family doctor for all concept to keep track of your health, manage chronic diseases and avoid complications. Let you enjoy a healthier and quality life. Visit primaryhealthcare.gov.hk to learn more. 
Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Thursday morning with Danny Gitchings and me, Janice Wong. Still with us in the studio is Dr. Victor Young, the Vice President of the Hong Kong Medical Association. Dr. Aaron Lee, Chairman of the Caritas Medical Center Doctor Association, is also on the line. And also Dr. Henry Young, a council member of the Hong Kong Chinese Medical Association. Do- Dr. Henry Young, uh, earlier on before he left, uh, Dr. David Lam was saying that uh, we should really uh, be casting our net a bit wider and particularly talking about... Um, opening up to more graduates of mainland universities and said that would also help that um, for um, fa- families who, who can't necessarily afford to send their children overseas but can get scholarships to mainland universities. Um, well, what's your thinking on that, Dr. Henry Young? Well, I'm not uh, really convinced on that. We have been <laughs> looking for other countries to look for our graduates coming back. And uh, we, we, we do it the other way that we, uh, we have we send uh, Hong Kong residents go to other areas and uh, ask them to come back. That's the same, same, same story. But what I'm concerned is that uh, if we, if, if we, the government is providing leaders free service or public uh, healthcare service to residents in Hong Kong, that the demand is, is immense. Even though we attract more doctors in the public sector, more people will, will go to the public sector to receive service because it's really, really, really free. And that's a, that's the most important problem. And the success of the HA uh, lead to its failing in that there are too many people flooding in. Uh, if we are uh, just uh, looking for the, um, for the uh, uh, increase the, 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 the capacity of service and and so, we have to look back whether we can cope with all residents of Hong Kong at the end. If we can, if we can uh, share the, the, the patients with the private sector, that means that we can shift the patients from the private sector to the private sector, that they immediately solve the, a, 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 a large majority problem. In, that, uh, in the private sector, we have been, uh, we have been seeing uh, uh, colleagues who have been uh, seeing a, a very few patients a day in the clinic. There are plenty of time to deal with those uh, patients from the public sector. They are more experienced of that as well, you know. Isn't and, the, the government and, is already talking about that, the primary health care blueprint? So they, 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 they yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but that is not to the full swing. And we have to, uh, to see the government really... Uh, uh, intend to do that by uh, intending money to the patients so the patient can follow money to see the doctor he likes in the perfect sector and that will help a lot and um, and and this is the immediate immediate release to the problem uh, now you know uh, if we want to attract doctors from outside as well we have to increase the number of uh, uh, for the uh, training in Hong Kong for the uh, for for doctors in the universities as well, and but that that will be a, take a long longer time. But for immediate relief, uh, we we have to see the success, the the the, the growing of the uh, so-called uh, public public collaborations. In that uh, we have the co-care of patients, uh, so that we can attract more doctors, more more patients for the public sector. Uh, instead of flooding the public sector. Uh, creating a lot of uh, a huge waiting time for those patients who are elite. So you're saying we actually have enough doctors? Are you saying we actually have enough doctors in Hong Kong that they're just they're in the well, private we, sector? Yeah, yeah the we private. have enough doctors in the public and private sector. We have a, a, around 4,000, 5,000 doctors in Hong Kong. We, we imagine if we, uh, the private sector can see, can look after five public doctors each day 
and that means that we can look after uh, one million, uh, 1.5 million public public patients who have been suffering chronic illness, and that's enough for to relieve a, a huge workload for for the public sector, and that leaves the specialists in the public sector after emergent cases and community cases, and really the public, the hospital authority look into that problem and solve those uh, patients who really need hospitalization and hospital treatment. All right, Dr. Young, do we really have enough doctors in Hong Kong? But then just just that most of them are in the private sector. Yeah, I uh, do think. Oh, sorry, so, sorry, doctor. Doctor Victor, so. sorry, yeah. sorry, doctor. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm asking uh, Doctor Victor Yang. Thank you. Uh, actually, I think um, overall we might have a, still have a shortage, but the obvious shortage is in public system. Private is actually quite. Um, not fully utilized, I'm pretty sure, as um, government and NHA is already using different uh, public-private partnership programs. Uh, but of course, they can expand it for a lot more because right now they are only quite limited to several aspects of the diseases that they're doing. So uh, in private, I'm pretty sure the, the, the workforce there uh, can really be utilized better to help out the NHA situation. Or some of the doctors in the private sector could go back to the HA. Uh, I, I, I want to. <laughs> I can help out, like, say, a free t- some uh, free time to come over to Hospital of to help but out. How about doctors giving up their private practice and actually joining the AA, the, the HA full-time? Mm, this, this depends on each doctor's uh, wish on their career. Because I, I've just uh, noticed some doctors left private practice back to HA recently. Yeah. Quite a number as well. It's normally in any other profession, if you're in one area of the profession and there's not enough work, which maybe we can say is the case in some sectors of, of, of private practice, um, but there's another area of the profession where there, is, where there are job vacancies and people move towards the job vacancies. So. Yes, so, and also uh, not necessary to work in XA or DHA for full-time. Sometimes we can do some sessions as a part-time to help, help out in some of the clinics. This will be some ways to go as well. Is that what's going on already right now? Like, Yeah, there are already uh, opportunities uh, given by uh, HA called HA Locum. That means you can, uh, no matter you are a, a general practitioner or you're a specialist, you can go to your own, um, I mean, that specialty clinics to help out. Say maybe you can go to like the hospital to see some uh, uh, OPD cases, outpatient clinics, and help out. Because like there are really tons of uh, patients uh, need to see doctors um, every day. So why are we spending so much time talking about attracting doctors from overseas if there's so much surplus capacity in Hong Kong? This is one of the ways that government should look into. I mean, of course, they can think, think about other uh, getting more doctors back. But of course, why not think about using some local uh, availabilities? Right, let, let's go to uh, Dr. Lee. Dr. Lee? Yes, yes, yes. Um, um, earlier, um, before the news, uh, Dr. Lam was talking about uh, um, how importing more doctors may, uh, was it may affect uh, the morale of doctors in Hong Kong? Or he was uh, uh, saying that uh, it won't affect morale in Hong Kong, uh, of doctors in Hong Kong. What's your view of uh, morale of uh, doctors in Hong Kong right now in, in the public sector? Uh, actually, uh, after listening to all the speakers today, I found that uh, that. The main problem here in Hong Kong is there is a big imbalance of the public and private sector doctors and the workload they share. So why is that a problem in the first place? I think uh, many of my colleagues are leaving for, uh, the public sector going into private. 
because of the working environment inside the hospital authority. Uh, this uh, environment uh, in different departments, I think, is uh, worsening because HA, the hospital authority, has been restricting the doctor to see the number of cases uh, they have to handle in the specialist outpatient clinic or in the general outpatient clinic or even in the accident and emergency department. There is a target they have to reach. Say in my department, I work in the A&E, uh, they have uh, a target that we have to reach if uh, we are going to see the category four or five that are non-urgent patients. We have to see at least five patients in one hour to achieve the target. So uh, also in the family medicine clinic, that is the government outpatient clinic, there's a target that in one hour you have to see at least 10 patients in order to fulfill their requirement. So in this tight uh, schedule, uh, even in the specialist outpatient clinic, uh, like uh, the psychiatric uh, outpatient clinic, they have a target to reach. Maybe they can only see a psychiatric patient uh, within uh, 15 or 20 minutes, which is, uh, I think, uh, the main problem. The doctors are handling the cases and uh, feeling the pressure on their work. As you know, there is a case uh, we are, uh, which is ongoing, the gross uh, negligence uh, manslaughter case. Is, uh, two uh, specialists are seeing uh, a patient with hepatitis, and then uh, they give the steroid to, them, to the patient, and uh, causing the, uh, eventually, I don't know whether it is caused or not, uh, the patient died because of uh, liver failure and uh, blaming the doctors not uh, giving the antiviral agent to the patient in the first place. So uh, what, why uh, there is a big problem coming out? Just because the two specialists are not having enough time to look into the uh, detailed history and also the medication the uh, patient should have or they are uh, receiving previously or what sort of illnesses they are having in the long run or in the chronic uh, setting. So uh, the big problem we are facing is the time pressure we are feeling. And then many of our colleagues are very disappointed of having the low morale and then leaving the public sector to go into private. So in the first place, besides inviting the overseas doctors to come, and whether it is a a really attractive working environment you can provide in the public hospital to these uh, candidates, whether they want to come back if they know, oh, what is going on in Hong Kong, then they may choose to work in other places they feel uh, much comfortable to work with. Will the public sector be any better? I mean, you look at uh, the British National Health Service and so on, the working conditions there. Public sector in uh, um, hospitals in other countries not necessarily going to be any better. I think uh, in UK, even in the family uh, medicine clinic, uh, that means the GP uh, setting, they have... uh, better uh, consultation time compared with us. Maybe because uh, our, uh, we are uh, very densely populated. We have a population of 7 million. 
more than seven million here, and then a lot of our uh, patients are having many chronic illnesses and are very old age. Uh, I remember when I first graduated in the nineties, uh, the the oldest patient I saw is around seventy or eighty, but now uh, the patient coming into my department to come to see is. Many of them are 90 or 100 years old already. So they have a lot of uh, problems we are dealing with. And the cases are more complicated than before. So I think uh, in the long run, uh, maybe the hospital authority have to think about how to improve the working environment of the doctors here uh, in order to uh, let them uh, feel comfortable to stay and work in the public sector. And besides, uh, I also read the news that uh, in uh, Korea, they have a standard working hour. Uh, South Korea, they have a standard working hour uh, being pushed out to the uh, employees uh, there. But it is a rising uh, 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 standard working hours from uh, 52 to 69 uh, hours per week. So you can see when they are doing the manpower calculation, they always look into the standard working hours part. This is lacking in the HA setting. Right. We don't have a standard working hours. Here. Yeah. All right, Dr. Lee, I mean, from what you're saying, I mean, you're talking about uh, uh, how there's not enough time for consultations or, or consultation yeah. time has been shortened. And about you also talked about the pressure faced by frontline staff. Um yeah. I mean, with, with this uh, working condition right now, are you worried that uh, um, the chance of medical blunders might increase? I mean, especially earlier when Dr. Lam was here, he was talking about how it may take some time for us to get um, new doctors to join the uh, workforce. Yeah, I think uh, we, we, we have been do the government has been doing a lot to uh, improve our manpower condition here. But... Uh, they, they are switching different knobs of the machine, but uh, I mean, I just think the healthcare system. But we take it, all the knobs will take time to show the results. Some may be quick, some may be slower. Now, uh, inviting overseas doctors, if a lot of responses coming from uh, UK, Australia, etc., then it will be fast because you just import the experts or the experienced doctors come in, then it's, it will be okay, solve the problem uh, quickly. But uh, you are saying the primary care blueprints, uh, the public private uh, partnership program, this will be slower. I think uh, it depends on how the government will uh, reform the healthcare uh, system in the long run. All right, Dr. Lee, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's Dr. Aaron Lee, Chairman of Caritas Medical Centre Doctor Association. Also, many thanks to uh, Victor Young um, for joining us this morning. He is uh, the Vice President of the Hong Kong Medical Association and also Dr. Henry Young, a council member of the Hong Kong Chinese, Chinese Medical Association. It's now... 9.47 and it's time to move on to our next topic about birds crashing into Hong Kong skyscrapers and we'll find out more about it right after this. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. 95 years of public service broadcasting. 
Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hello, I'm Michael Wong, the Deputy Financial Secretary. For the past 95 years, our THK has shared a common journey with Hong Kong people. Going forward, I trust that our THK will continue to provide Hong Kong with more programs that are rich in content and that can move our hearts. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Now, the Hong Kong Bird Watching Society has for the first time collected data on the number of birds crashing into buildings in Hong Kong last year, and they recorded around 200 bird collisions over a four-month period. To tell us more, we're joined now by Wong Shut Mei, a conservation officer from the Hong Kong Bird Watching Society. Good morning, Ms. Wong. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, can you first tell us how you ca- collected the data? Yeah, sure. We have just uh, released a report about uh, the bird window collision cases in Hong Kong, and we have two ways to collect the data. First is uh, we have uh, recruited uh, a number of uh, volunteers to conduct a regular bird monitoring survey in five locations that uh, we decide. And and the second way is uh, from the public members, uh, because we have started to encourage the public to report more cases to us since, um, uh, I think, last year in autumn. And we do receive a lot of cases, and so that we can um, make a very uh, quick analysis on this four-month data. This is uh, the first time you've done a survey like this, right? You, you've never done it before. I- yeah, um, I think uh, the problem exists in Hong Kong for a very long period of time because we uh, we, we have checked the newspaper uh, from uh, like 2015. There are several news about uh, window collisions of a uh, mass number of birds, and and but uh, there is not a very systematic or very uh, widespread uh, um, education campaign, and also. Uh, the public members do, uh, didn't know how to report the cases. So um, uh, uh, we, as our society, the birdwatching society, we, we do receive a several cases in the past year, but uh, this is not a very comprehensive one. So uh, as last year, we, we just want to initiate uh, a new campaign to like um, um, a more locally, uh, a more widespread uh, message to the public members and encourage more people to report cases to us. So, so which parts of uh, Hong Kong have the uh, most uh, number of uh, bird collisions? Yeah, actually, we have recorded uh, many cases uh, around Hong Kong, and there are fifteen districts in Hong Kong have uh, been recorded with uh, the cases. But um, uh, the most uh, uh, the most serious one, or the, the district that recorded with uh, more lumber, is uh, uh, Sha Tin District and also uh, Eastern District in Hong Kong Island. But uh, I. I don't really think that this really reflects the reality because uh, we believe that there are still a lot of uh, black spots that we have missed because uh, even though uh, there are more public to report, like we have over 40 people uh, report to, uh, reported to us, but um, it is still a very random, uh, random reporting. So uh, we believe that it could be more serious in other districts and, and more widespread in Hong Kong. Uh, and explain to our listeners why why does this happen? Why why do birds fly into buildings in this way? Yeah, because um, a bird have a very good 
uh, sight chain. However, they don't have any concept about glass, unlike human. And uh, it, because in the natural environment, they don't see any things that are made of glass. It is a really artificial materials. And and when birds uh, um, see the reflected image in the glass from a building, they will think that it is a, like an extension of the natural environment and will fly into it. And finally, they will hit the window or glass and make them injured or even being killed. Uh, and this is why you suggest hanging objects. You, you put things on the buildings, don't you? To, to, so then the, then the bird will see that and realise that um, there's an obstruction up ahead. Yeah, we are trying to uh, uh, find out some serious uh at black spot and contact the building's management, uh, like the property management company. And uh, we really hope that uh, they can install some kind of uh, sticker, which is um, uh, can help the birds to see the glass and to realize that they cannot uh, fly into it or fly through it. So, so I think uh, this is the the most easiest way uh, to stop or to reduce the problem. This is uh, what we are doing now. What is the reaction so far of property? Because I can imagine some developers, they, they use the glass. They, they, they think that that actually looks um, much more attractive. It makes the building look um, more, more upmarket. Um, so uh, are, are they receptive to your suggestions that to, to put uh, stickers on? And Yeah, right. It is not really easy uh, because we have been uh, sending like uh, over uh, 15 letters to different uh, units and uh, most of them are not uh, really po- uh, positively uh, reflected to us. Um, uh, but uh, it still have uh, some hope because uh, there are one case, uh, there is one case in uh, Meifu MTR station and they did uh, improve their glass and make the uh, anti-bird collision measures uh, in like last uh, December. So I think it is a very good example for other units to follow. And, 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 and now we have published a report and I think there are more uh, social awareness on the issue. And I hope that uh, in the future, this, this will become more easier to like negotiate with them or to persuade them to make the improvement. And how does this uh, problem in Hong Kong compare to other places, I mean, or other cities that also have lots of uh, glass buildings? Is it uh, more serious here or, or not? Yeah, it is really hard to uh, compare Hong Kong to other countries right now because uh, our data is not really sufficient to make a, a very comprehensive estimation uh, of the number of deaths in Hong Kong um, uh, um, yeah, under this issue. But in other countries, uh, we know that, uh, like Taiwan, they also started uh, recently, The um, like in uh, five years before, they started a, a very large campaign to encourage public to report the cases. And they uh, did some estimation that they have uh, like over uh, um, each year there are, are like um, oh, oh, I forgot. <laughs> it's like uh, three, uh, three, um, three millions of births uh, yes. <clears throat> uh, will be recorded in Taiwan. Yeah, and in Korea, there are also uh, some newly 
um, newly launched campaign as well. And in Hong Kong, it is quite late, but uh, we just started. So I hope that uh, in the future, we can also do this kind of um, uh, uh, investigation. Yeah. You mentioned three million in Taiwan. I, I read a report also saying that there, there were one billion, billion, not, not million, billion in the United oh, yeah, States. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the numbers, are. this is a huge problem around the world, isn't it? Yeah, actually, uh, in America, it is more. Uh, there are more uh, research and uh, public engagement activities. Uh, they they started like thirty years ago for this issue, so they have really a mature estimations. And and they also identified this problem is one of the major flag to birth, uh, uh, except the habitat loss. Yeah. Because they also face um, many different kind of threats, like uh, the cat and dog attack, uh, wild bird, and, and and bird collisions is one of the major ones. So, so I think this is the problem that uh, the whole world are facing and, and need to uh, improve. Does uh, does America or other countries have any laws or building regulations um, to, to to try uh, to try and um, prevent this? Yeah, in New York, there uh, there is an, a new legislation uh, passed uh, in like 2019. Yeah, uh, they started to require the buildings uh, that have uh, a certain percentage of uh, glass or mirror uh, to have installed river anti collisions measures. So I think it is uh, very effective to to like uh, improve uh, all the buildings uh, mandatorily. Is that something uh, you will be uh, contacting uh, our government about? Uh, of course. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, uh, our ultimate goal is is that all the departments are aware of the problem and they also uh, would like to make uh, uh, this kind of legislation to, uh, like under the building ordinance or other ordinance uh, to, to fix the problem because we, we still have many new buildings going up in Hong Kong. So I think it is time for us to to include uh, uh, these measures to, to the policy and also the legislative framework as well. Right. And then how, how do you plan on uh, following up on this? I mean, will you be carrying out a similar um, survey or data collection process every year or, or every half year? What are you planning to do? Yeah, we have... Uh, uh, well, for example, for the regular bird collision survey in five locations, we started uh, last uh, last September, and we will continue the surveys until this September to complete like a one-year monitoring. And uh, uh, we do hope to expand uh, the survey to other uh, identified black spots, and we are planning to do this. So please. Uh, 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 also pay attention to our Facebook and if we recruit a new volunteers, please join us. All right. And what do we do if we, we actually uh, want to report a, a sighting of a bird collision? Do we just go to your website or, or what do we do? Is there a number we can call? Yeah, you can go to our website and we will teach you how to uh, access a platform named uh, the Global Bird Collision Mapper. And it is a, a really uh, worldwide platform for every one of us to upload any suspected cases to the website and and you can assess this uh 
All right. Totally. Uh, everybody can access it. All right, Ms. Wong, we have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us uh, on the program. That's uh, Wong Shitmei, a conservation officer from the Hong Kong Bird Watching Society. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today, and of course to our guest presenter, Danny Gittings, and producer Ka Ha. I'll be back with another edition of Fact Chat tomorrow with Andrew Work.